You're listening to On The Air. It's time to talk about kitesurfing. And here's your host, Lewis Crappen. Welcome back to On The Air and wow, have I got a jam-packed show for you today. Mr. Extreme Ruben Lenton joins us for an interview and I'm going to share my thoughts on King of the Air which just took place a few weeks ago. New to the show for episode 2, we'll have Sam Haditsky's traffic update and of course I, Coach Crathen, will offer some feedback to a popular question put to me. Why can't I land my jumps properly? But we'll get into all of that later. Enjoy the show. Today on the air we have Ruben Lenton who is all the way over in Cape Town. You're still there, can you tell us and the listeners a little bit about what you're getting up to at the moment? Uh, well, I'm actually back in Holland. Uh, I flew back. Oh, crap. What <laughs> <laughs> I flew back yesterday uh, just because my 90 day visa expired and uh, I had to sort out a few bits and pieces back home. So I decided to come back and uh, I'll be heading back for four weeks uh, next week. So. And what is it you love about Cape Town so much that you're spending over three months a year out there for? Yeah, that's it. For the past 12 years, I've spent every summer season there. And uh, for me, it's just uh, yeah, the most comfortable and magical place because it just has the best ingredients to kite hard and go big. And uh, also on the lifestyle side, there's a lot of cool music going on, lots of cool events, lots of cool restaurants. So uh, yeah, I truly love the vibe out there. Rubes, you're obviously one of my mates, but originally you were somebody that I didn't actually know so well. And it was your Storm series. I mean, you pronounce that a bit differently in your native language. It's, how do you say it? <laughs> Storm Chase. Storm Chase. That was, the, that was the thing I used to watch all the time with you and the strong, the strong wind, the mega loops when they were sort of invented back in the day. You were riding the slingshot fuel. I mean, is that still a part of the sport that you're truly passionate about? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I have lots of uh, I've had lots of comments and compliments on uh, on the movies that I put out like ten years ago uh, about the storm sessions that I was having back home, and uh, yeah, for me that's the the biggest passion uh, for me just to go big and just to ride in the gnarliest conditions. For me, that's yeah, that's that's when I get can get fully expressed, you know, and it's just an epic feeling. You started with freestyle, like a lot of the big air riders, but now you're fully extreme big air what is it really about it that means you sort of stay with that uh i mean yeah a kite is power and you can use it to your likings and totally do it at your own pace and apparently my pace is pretty uh pretty powerful and an extreme oh, sorry someone coming visiting that's okay you can tell us who it is hello is it the wife no the wife is still in cape town Oh. It's my second mom. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How's it going? Is it nice to have Ruben back? Oh, yeah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's lying now. She's crying that I'm back. <laughs> I love it. No, they always welcome me with open arms, so it's always good to come back and give everyone yeah. some hugs before uh, taking off again. Yeah, you do have a big family. I mean, those of uh, the listeners that might not know your brother... Sander, he was actually also a very good kite surfer, was a professional and has moved out to some warmer climate as well. Do you miss him? Exactly, yeah. Sander is a legend. My bro and I are so different, but we love each other so much. And uh, yeah, the path he's been choosing and creating for himself has been amazing. Uh, just got his second baby in and uh, yeah, he lives on the Virgin Islands together with his wife, Charlie. 
And uh, yeah, he's a pilot now and talented at everything that he does. So uh, yeah, I've got lots of respect for him for sure. That sounds cool. Maybe I'll get him on the air one day. I bet he has some great stories about some some flying in the sky. But hey, Ruben, let's not beat around the bush. We've just had the 2018 Red Bull King of the Air, which takes place yeah. in Cape Town. It's the it's the sixth year that we've had it out in Cape Town. But rather than talk directly about uh, the event in Cape Town, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the event when it was in Hawaii. I think a lot of people don't know anything about the King of the Air, even how many years it ran, how it came yeah. about. And, and I know you competed in it. So maybe tell me a bit more about how that event went down in Hawaii. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, the Red Bull King of the Air has been around since uh, 1999, uh, when it was initiated by Robin Nash and Red Bull. And back then it ran in Hawaii for uh, six years until 2005. And uh, yeah, ever since I saw the content come out from the Red Bull King of the Air in like 2001 even, it was like Flash Bow, uh, Flash Austin, Max Bow, and like Robin Nash going big. And I saw the content online and I was just so inspired by how big they could fly and how much fun they were having down there. So it was amazing for me to qualify myself for it and uh, eventually win the event in 2005 right against Robbie Nash. And uh, yeah, that's been an incredible ride for me for sure. That must have felt amazing, 2005. That was just a couple of years after I'd started kiteboarding. Would you say that goes down as one of your biggest career highlights? Yeah, for sure. I mean, back then it was I was 17 years old traveling to Hawaii and there was a whole video crew like following what we were doing and uh yeah for me to compete with the big boys was just a dream come true you know so the event moved to cape town where it became a new venue there was a lot of excitement about that it'd been a big wait since uh the hawaii edition how many years was it until until we ran again uh i think the competition uh went on like a seven year hiatus uh, as the sport was moving in many directions, uh, like in 2005, lots of new disciplines came about, like uh, the speed riding, the wave riding, and yeah, the sport was just breaking up or growing in like uh, yeah various ways. And Rebel wanted to see where that was going. And uh, in 2012, I was like, hey guys, Big Air is still the wow factor of the sport, so let's create a platform for talent to make name and uh, really showcase what they can do. In 2012, I believe it was the Mega Loop Challenge that you brought back. Now, I competed in that event. From my perspective, that was so exciting to, to have a Big Air, an extreme Big Air event come back. It was all I could think about. It sort of helped me leave behind the freestyle discipline where I was finding it harder to... to to concentrate and be in that one. And I'm like you, Ruben. I really feel you can express yourself with Big Air. But we've just had our sixth year now of the King of the Air. And how do you feel about the situation with the King of the Air? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've seen uh, quite quite a bit of progress in the event over the past couple of years. But it's the conditions what make this event. And in my eyes, this is the only extreme Big Air kiteboarding event that we have. So, yeah, we should make sure it is extreme and... That has not really been the case uh, this year. Uh, unfortunately, the wind wasn't as strong uh, as we hoped for. Uh, and then they decided to run the event whilst we were riding like 10 meter kites again. And uh, yeah, we couldn't really jump above like the 15 or 20 meters or express what we really wanted to express. And yeah, I think that's a shame when you have an event like this, we need to make sure that it is the, uh, the business card of the sport, you know. It's a sensitive subject because <laughs> we all want to compete and we all want to showcase this part of the sport and I really feel extreme big air starts in 30 knots. I think the big question is how can we ensure 
that extreme kiteboarding is showcased in a competition format the way that the way that you want to to see it well i think the problem with the king of the air is that it's like a big monster which they created like red bull now has this massive live stream going on puts lots of money in it and they just need to run it you know um so now it was more of like a show of like the best riders in light wind conditions uh but that's not really what what we want to create we want to have it as extreme as possible and for that yeah we just need the conditions so to be more mobile and uh yeah have a longer waiting period is uh, essential uh so hopefully we'll work on some of our own events uh, where we can uh, can go for that i think i agree with you there as well definitely a bigger a bigger window you know when you see these these what is it the windsurfers do? They do a storm thing as well. There's, I mean, even the Mega Loop Challenge, they could take maybe a leaf out of the book of that event, which is almost a six-month window. They wait for the special day. Do you think it's possible, Ruben, that the Mega Loop Challenge is going to actually overtake the King of the Air now as the event which has the real credibility about it? Uh, I mean, the Mega Loop Challenge is definitely super extreme because there you can win with one move so everybody's just gonna try their best move every time they're gonna jump you know so i think that format works really well um and yeah i hope to throw some of my own events where it will be like the mega loop challenge where yeah we just see the most extreme moves you know i think it was known widely that the mega loop challenge was maybe the feed-in event to the king of the air but i i feel differently about it now you know like Maybe I might be interested in riding in something like this where I just I, I just know that the wind speed isn't going to be a factor about it, you know. And you mentioned that a lot of the riders are really hoping to be involved in an event like this. But from being at some of the, the meetings during the end there, I really feel there's a big split at the moment, certainly with King of the Air. And it's maybe that there's less riders that want to be out there in the super strong wind performing the extreme kiteboarding yeah uh, and there's more riders that actually want to be part of the show what, what does that mean to you or how does that make you feel when you hear about being part of the show uh yeah i mean for me uh, i'm more of a free rider competitions don't yeah i don't care about competitions that much anyways uh, for me it's not about winning or being better than someone it's about just having as much fun and if you bring the best riders together yeah then we need to push the sport and show the most extreme moves and that's what i'd like to see like a more extreme big air instead of just a big air showcase um so i'll be focusing on yeah just organizing storm chases because that's yeah. the sickest shit around <laughs> well i'd love to be part of that storm chases where we traveled travel to different places would be i mean it's surely the sport is crying out for something like that rather than this one event every year where quite often more than not it's not really in conditions that that the riders or at least half the riders want to be riding in yeah exactly like the riders are all amped for it so i think we just uh, throw a, a stop in uh, holland in france in germany uh, in spain taiwan taiwan is a good one taiwan i'm out <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's just roll through a couple of questions with you now before we finish up. Handles, should they be banned at King of the Air? Handles, uh, I mean, this discussion is already closed like 10 years ago on the World Tour that the handles are abandoned, you know, they're not part of the board. It's like uh, an accessory. I'm going to tell you a story about handles, Rubes. Uh, I had somebody that I know recently ring me and tell me, that Aaron once had, uh, do you know the things that a trowel you use for plastering? Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. 
Aaron once had one of those attached to his board, right? It has to be a joke. This guy has to be joking. I then rang Aaron about it and actually, I think it was true. He told me that his dad had to go to a hardware store because his handle came off his board over 10 years ago and the only thing they could buy was a plastering uh, trowel and he attached, screwed it into his board. Wow. So, so we'll get to the bottom of that, that, that story. So you'd feel that he'd have an advantage at King of the Air with this sort of setup. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, with a handle, like it's easier to do borders or grab it if you if you're into that. But uh, yeah, just grab the thing by the tail or by the rail, and then you're all good now. Okay, well, I'm glad we cleared that up. And I think my last my last little question for you would be: is what can you say to the up and coming big air riders to help them progress into the sport? There's a lot of them now, kids that are they're sort of bypassing the freestyle and other disciplines, and they just want to be big air pros. What can you say to them? That's it. Well, just keep on riding as hard as possible and uh, keep flying as high. That's uh, very important because every minute out there, you're going to gain some more board control, body control, air awareness and uh, kite kite control. So, uh, yeah, just keep pushing it and keep having fun because kiteboarding is amazing. You know, it's uh, my key to freedom and I'm glad we're all in this together. So keep sending it. Thanks so much for joining me today, Ruben Lenton. No worries. You're listening to On The Air with Lewis Crathen. That was a great interview with Ruben Lenton, one of the forefathers of extreme kiteboarding. And I found it very interesting, his take on King of the Air. The handle debate was a real interesting one this year, and it came about very naturally in our riders' meetings, which stemmed after day one. Why? Because some of us noticed the reappearance of handles on some of the competitors' boards, But more worryingly, we noticed no difference in scores for similar manoeuvres which were performed without the use of a handle. Now, banning handles from a kiteboarding event has happened in the past, as Ruben mentioned, and it was back in the PKRA days and at the point of where board-offs were scoring the highest. The riders recognised it took more skill to go handleless and the solution was to agree on an equal playing field, basically to go and learn the skill of doing it properly. Now, you may have noticed my 24-hour online poll during the event asking you what you thought, and it was great to have so many of your opinions on the matter. We all have a different opinion, which we are completely entitled to. I want to make that clear. In response to the subject, in my opinion, some in defence of the handle went way off topic, arguing that either boots or straps should then be banned. This seems like nonsense to me, as both clearly provide advantages and disadvantages. For example, boots... Maybe we'll give you a better edge into the trick. You can handle more power. But with straps, you can go and do board-offs. You know, you can't really do that in boots. There's there's all sorts of advantages and the disadvantages for those. The main point about the handles debate, for me, was that the handle only gave an advantage, yet provided no disadvantage. And during the meetings for fun, I would argue that you could bring in a two-foot croquet goal-style handle to give a massive advantage of making the removal of the board easier. By having this debate, we, we were simply just exploring the boundaries of the argument as riders. Where, where do we draw the line? Let's talk about the two days of action itself. It's such an exciting event to be part of as a competitor. You train and focus for a long time and nothing beats seeing all the people come down to watch. I always wanted to be a professional football player. I still do actually. And to compete and kite in front of thousands of people gives me just a small feeling of how it might have been in the football stadiums. Things went to plan for me in the first round which is such a big round so I could relax all the way to round four. 
Round one is so important because if you win your heat, you automatically qualify for next year's event. That's a major thing. It's, it's one thing out of the way. And if you place anywhere else in that first round, then you actually go into the dreaded straight knockout situation during the next heat. And that's, that's not so nice. One thing I feel a lot of people have overlooked is the impact that our wing selection can have on our scores, especially in relevance to how they mega loop. Throwing a mega loop on a sea kite on 22 meter lines will generate a huge amount of power and a wider, more, more natural loop. But throwing a mega loop on 24 meter lines with a, with a hybrid type of kite is a totally different story. It's possible you could propel yourself way higher in the air before the loop, but you definitely won't incur the same sort of power surge. The kite would loop in more of a stalled fashion on its axes and also be higher in the window when it goes round. Using this setup, it's possible to receive a secondary lift upwards, which acts like kind of like another jump. This is a way easier time to perform a board off, for instance, compared to removing the board before the loop on a sea kite like Aaron Hadlow was doing. With all that said, I do feel in lower wind speeds that hybrids can go a bit bigger sometimes whilst still retaining a quite reasonably aggressive loop. There's also the element of added control in extreme conditions with the range of depower. You know, you can push that bar out a little bit and relax and control your edge a little bit more. It's all a balance that we have to weigh up as riders and competitors and you must really select what is better for your style of riding and that's that's the skill of it when you compete in an event like this. I also read some discussions about how this event might not be fair for goofy riders, that is to say right foot forwards riders, ones that tend to only ride right foot forwards. Now my home spot is a right foot forward, yet I see no disadvantage to riding here left foot forward. As Ruben once told me years ago, it is simply the other way and as professional riders you learn to ride the other tack just like football players can score with both feet that, that debate ends here for me it's not even worth talking about now I feel it would help at this event to translate the judging criteria better to the audience we, we felt like that as riders for quite some time now and that can happen via the live stream or, or maybe some visual things on the beach a good show doesn't necessarily mean a rider is going to advance and the main thing we as competitors have to consider is that they're judging us on height in relation to extremity. For example, a very high mega loop front roll will tick those boxes more than a very high board off. That should be clear to understand. This leads me perhaps the last part of this subject and it's one I feel very passionately about. What are we there for? Is it to put on a show or is it to showcase the most extreme side to our sport? Was King of the Air 2018 extreme kiteboarding? To some yes, to some no. We are all entitled to our opinion. On the whole, I can be happy, obviously, that I finished in third place. I got to stand on the podium. I got to see the crowds and all the phones. And I got to taste the champagne. And I'd like to extend my congratulations to Kevin and also Liam. I felt they deserved to finish where they did. And I also feel the judges kept things quite consistent during the event. The support I received from many people was incredible. I'm extremely grateful to all those that came down to watch the event and to those that tuned in online. The idea that somebody might get into kiteboarding because they saw this event is, is a really nice one. Now, I could just move on from this section of the podcast right now, wrap it all up and go on to something else. But there's still a little bit more I want to talk about. And, 
as professionals in all sports professionals have to learn to some degree to keep their thoughts to themselves but I've openly voiced my strong opinions at the post riders meetings and to people that I talk to and I really want you to hear them too. I feel there is a deep underlying problem with the King of the Air event at this moment and it all boils down to what we agree are suitable conditions. 25 knots is the figure we tend to go off but it's not official. You might be surprised to hear it's even that low. You may be even more surprised to hear that on the final day winds barely peaked 25 knots for more than 40 minutes. Data from the nearest station shows during the semis and finals winds were 20 to 23 knots. I want to be clear that this is not a bad loser run. I podiumed at the event, I'm stoked, but this is way below the standards that we want for extreme kiteboarding. Those of you that are kite surfing regularly and especially in Cape Town will know that deep satisfactory feeling within when you've had an awesome day in strong wind. The sand blows so hard that the uncovered areas of your body sting with pain, you can barely walk on the beach. Setting up the kite is an achievement and when you perform extreme kiteboarding manoeuvres, you really feel on top of the world. These days happen frequently in South Africa. During this year's King of the Air event, one could have quite comfortably laid out a picnic rug on the beach and enjoyed a refreshing jug of pims with a nice sandwich. That's the fact. I personally felt the first three heats of round one should not have gone ahead. These were the same rounds that saw Ruben Lenton and Kevin Langere featured underpowered on 10 metre kites finishing last of their first heat. Some riders in particular really made their thoughts known personally to the judging team. I'll let you work out who they were. Now, I know there's a general consensus out there, but the conditions were fair for, for all riders. It's the same for all riders. But let's put it this way. If those winds had dropped to 15 knots in that final, would they have gone ahead? No, I don't think they could possibly have done. So at what point do they stop and think, right, let's do this on another day? I mean, who's actually making the call for the green light? Is it the crowds that come down that put all that pressure on the likes of Red Bull? Is it the, the race director's opinion? Is it the judge's opinion? Is it the cost to put on another day for Red Bull? There's just so many factors that you could argue are massively influencing the green light to run. But certainly I feel as a rider, my feeling in my kite and the actual feeling I'm getting riding on the water and coming back and relaying to, to the race director is way down on the list of priority. Now, there are big risks incurred giving the green light to the world's most extreme kiteboarding event in substandard conditions. Not only to us riders when dropping out of below average mega loops, that's, that's really a nightmare when you, can't, when you can't get nice and high. I mean, I don't even bother doing a mega loop in under 30 knots. But the biggest risk I see is to the lineup of extreme riders that will want to be part of an event like this. Because if on a regular basis we're underpowered on 9, 10 metre kites, it'll be the riders that trains for, for those sorts of conditions that turn up which, which there's nothing wrong with but don't we really want to see the likes of Ruben, Joshua, Kevin, Nick and Aaron all go at it in over 30 knots I think that's what people really want to see how can we give ourselves a better opportunity to ride in those wind strengths with those sorts of pedigree of rider this is my argument if we can't, then we might have to say goodbye to some of those riders. For now, King of the Air 2018 has passed, but to me, this was not an extreme kiteboarding event. Simply, just another big air. Let's get some travel with Sam Medetsky. Traffic Report with Sam Medetsky. Thanks, Lou. 
quite a lot to tell you about looking at the Cape Town area today. At Dolphin Beach, things are moving slow northbound, which appears to be just sheer downwind congestion. Long delays on getting a launch down at Kite Beach. I'm being told that this is due to a broken pump and a number of riders turning up without a pump expecting to borrow one. There's been an accident between a wave rider and a freestyler in Big Bay. You might want to avoid that one, it's a real mess. Things are also moving slow approaching Doodles, and that's due to a short tacking twin tipper. That's backing things up all the way to Pakalolos. That's your latest for travel. I'm Sam Maditsky. Thanks, Sam. If there's an area which you've been riding at which is receiving a high level of traffic, we want to know about it. And now it's come to that time of the show where I, Coach Crathen, answer your kiteboarding-related questions. Kiteboarding Tips with Coach Crathen. Take your riding to the next level. In the previous episode, I asked you to tell me how windy this sound was. It was indeed 56 knots, which Dan Charlish, the main organiser for the kitesurfing armada, guessed correctly. The recording came from the morning of the 2017 Red Bull Mega Loop Challenge in Zandvoort, and it was one of those mornings where, if you dropped anything, it was gone forever. Have you ever had one of them? It's been so windy, drop something, gone forever. No chance of getting it back. Way too windy. Wave goodbye to it. Get straight on your smartphone and order whatever it is you lost again. Anyway, Dan's question was simple. Why can't I land my jumps properly? So I've had time to think about it and I've come up with three major tips for anyone that's suffering from bad landings or heavy landings, they're not riding away, their boards at a funny angle and we're going to discuss some of those now and I think we'll start with how important it is to point the board downwind when you land. Now you cannot land in the position that you take off from and that's being square to the wind, you're, you're edging hard, your board is basically not facing downwind. Now what I want you to do is imagine your kite surfing coach when you were first learning to kite surf. What did he say or she say to you? It was point the board downwind. Try and get sideways and go straight towards the kite. The same has to happen when you come in from a jump. You have to point that nose straight downwind and get your momentum moving downwind. If you try and land with your knees bent and you, you're heavily leaning backwards, you're just going to bomb out. It just doesn't work. I like to promote a tucked body position whilst airborne. It really helps you react with uh, any changes to the wind or if there's any strange balance problems going on. Just a tight core helps with that. But actually, when you come to land, you do want to be a bit more upright and straight. You don't want to be landing in a ball. Now, one of the best times to actually help you come out of that tucked position is when you redirect the kite. You can almost let the redirection of the kite allow your body to come out of that tucked position. Why do you need to be a bit more upright when you land? Well, that relates to the amount of pressure you need to spread over both feet or both of your legs. It's not like when you're riding where you're leaning sort of 75% over the back foot to keep the nose of the board out of the water. When you land, you actually need to spread your weight almost 50-50 over the board. Picture being on a skateboard where you'll have your weight sort of 50-50, which helps you ride along comfortably on the ground. It's the same thing when you land from a kiteboarding jump. Spread that weight 50-50, try and get side on, ride it straight towards the kite before you even think 
of coming back round on that hillside. And another nice way to look at this is just imagine that you had to land as if you had no kite. Just visualize that. Imagine you've banged your quick release as you're just coming in and you've got no kite, nothing connected to you. You'll have to land kind of 50-50 on that board just to get any sort of planing speed out of the jump. If you'd like to ask me a question in the next episode, I want to know the answer to the following question. Knots, miles per hour, kilometers an hour are all a form of wind measurement. But what is the measurement known as that relates wind speed to observed conditions at sea or on land? One more time then. Knots, miles per hour, kilometers an hour are all a form of wind measurement. But what is the measurement known as that relates wind speed to observed conditions at sea or on land? Just leave me your answer via the SoundCloud page or via my Facebook page at the comments on this episode, which I will post shortly. Let's take a look at the woo scene right now. Worldwide on woo. Oh, wow. Sexy voice, right? Worldwide. Who is that? On woo. On woo. Worldwide. I only asked for a simple woo voiceover. And now I've forgotten what I'm doing. Worldwide on Woo. Um, yeah, that's right. We're going to take a look at the Woo scene right now. Nothing's changed in the top three. Still, nobody has made that 30 metre mark. But it's got to happen at some point, right? Josh Emanuel leads with 29, followed by Stuart Downey closely behind with 28.7 metres. And Nick Jacobson on 28.6 metres occupies that third spot. A brief look over some more sessions from February shows, unsurprisingly, a lot of sessions from Cape Town at the top. Luke Thomas definitely deserves a mention. This guy is always in and amongst the best jumps, logging a 26.1 metres during that time. And Michael McDonald reaching the 25 metre mark as well, another session in Cape Town. There's a few personal records worth talking about. Anthony Cohen hit 15 metres in Ponte Preto Capo Verde. I especially like the session log name, which is I am a boss. Damn right you are, Anthony. Giorgio Badesti reaching 7.1 metres. That's a new personal record for him. Congrats. And also Abel Largo. Isn't that a pro who's been around for ages? Hmm. Anyway, couldn't help notice his personal record of 11.5 metres in South Africa. Congrats. Great job, Abel Largo. Well, that's about it for episode number two. I hope you enjoyed the show. And genuinely, I hope you like these podcasts that I'm pushing out right now. On the air is something I'm really enjoying doing. And please leave us your feedback with any ideas you might have for me or something you want me to talk about. I'd love to hear that. I'm Lewis Crathen and you've been listening to On The Air. Stay safe out there and remember that the happiest people are not those getting more, but those giving more. Back of the net.